Get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Tip Sheet. As always, I'm your host, John, also known as 4020. Joining me to put the official death rights on the Parramatta Eagles 2023 season is my good mate, 60s. Big fella with that 34-12 to loss to the Roosters tonight, uh, it is official. The Eels are now no longer in the hunt for the finals. Not that they ever really were coming into this game, if we're going to be you know, brutally honest, and I think a lot of our preview talk reflected that. Uh, but yeah, a few things to discuss tonight, nonetheless. Well, mate, I'm going to award myself three points for staying to the end of the game. For the because... play, for the players not to come up and engage the fans as well. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, you know, I, I guess I hung in there for 80 minutes. I think there were, I think there was evidence there that our team, again, competed for the first 20 minutes of the game as they did last week. And then after that, well, you know what? This was just right off the scales in terms of incompetence tonight. No, it, was, it was comical you know, points, wasn't it? You know, guys dropping ball 10 metres out, Guffo, Kiri doing an awful kick and Guffo somehow taking a look and dropping the ball, um, you know, missed tackles, bad offloads, running yourself into the corner and into trouble. Uh, you know, even Will Penasini having a chance to score and put the Eels ahead two tries to, was it two tries to nil at that point? Yep. Um, yes. And, in know, fact, that was uh, it. Was after we, after that try was missed, that the run of possession and tries commenced for the Roosters. Yeah. So, an absolute comedy of errors as the Eels bid good night to their season. But before we dive too far further into the review or the post mortem, however you want to carve it up this way, sixties, quick shout out to the sponsors of the show. I'm not sure they want to be associated with tonight, but we're going to throw them in there. Uh, Big Swing Golf, North Mead and Star Partners Real Estate, Auburn, Rowan and Parramatta, uh, who have been fantastic in their consistency this year. Uh, big shout out to them. Obviously doing wonderful things for us in the show. But let's get into it, mate. Uh, yeah, 34-12 to 12 in favour of the Sydney Roosters tonight. The uh, Eels farewell in Combank Stadium in the uh, complete opposite of style. Uh, Bryce Cartwright and Quinton Gufferson scoring for the blue and gold. Guffo tacking on his two conversions from those two attempts. And then for the Roosters, uh, Tedesco got a double. Swali'i also bagging a brace. Uh, young forward Wong scoring in the 68th minute off a comical bounce pass that skidded past about 12 players and got to him. And then that Butcher scoring in the 79th minute. Swali'i having a pretty good night off the tee, five from six. Uh, Roosters marginally ahead in possession by 51 to 49%. Uh, they completed uh, relatively efficiently, 75%, 30 to 40 Eels, very ordinary, uh, 29-42 for 69% completion rate. Uh, Roosters had in all key attacking stats, run meters, post-contact meters, 10 line breaks to four. It feels like it's the like fifth straight game that the opponents have just dominated the line breaks column against the Parramatta Eels. 53 tackle breaks to 25. Uh, Eels actually had a faster play the ball speed, which is always bad news. Uh, Eels had more offloads with that manic uh, passage of second phase play at the back end of the game. And then after that, uh, Eels down at 80% effective tackle rate, which again tells you everything you need to know about 
how committed they were defensively tonight, which is to say not very. And then uh, the Roosters actually end up conceding more pen- conceding sorry less penalties. I thought it was four to three, but it's actually five to four the other way. So yeah, another game where the Eels didn't win the penalty count. Uh, but that certainly isn't my gripe tonight. Uh, in terms of individual stuff, 60s, I'm not sure if it's worth shouting out, but we had a couple of players going over 200. Gufferson, 202. Reg, 199. Uh, and in the backs, uh, Simonson and Dill over 150. And then a couple of forwards over 100. Uh, tackles, well, lots of missed tackles. Um, did anyone have a good night defending? Not really. Um William McGregor made 14 tackles and missed zero, so well done to the big fella. And after that, there wasn't, there was only, so Wiramu was 14 made, zero missed. After him, there were only two eels with a singular missed tackle, which somehow was Marcus Sivo and Brendan Hands. Hands actually made 25 tackles and missed one, so he was good. But after that, each and every single eel had at least two missed tackles or more. Uh, Topping the count was Bryce Cartwright with nine, uh, Junior, eight. Uh, Lusick, five, Simonson, five, uh, and it, it goes from there. So uh, the uh, stats backing up the eye test in this case for all the wrong reasons. And the Eels, yeah, signing off from the season at Combank in very, very ordinary fashion, big fella. Well, let's rip the Band-Aid off because in terms of, in terms of competing... In basically the last month and a half, our team is pretty much thrown in the towel. Uh, I, it's so, I don't it's think so bizarre given how much they fought to the death for the rest of the season, but it just feels like they're out of petrol. Well, I spoke about this when we had our uh, preview podcast, and I said my greatest concern was the mindset of the team that they were now not believing that they were going to have any chance of winning. And I don't care. Like, you know, there's, there's such a thing as, as believe uh, as truly believing like they could carry on with all the lip service that they want tonight. The roosters at times were almost as incompetent as what yeah. the eels were, yeah, exactly. But there was a big, but there was a big difference, which was the roosters looked like they really wanted to win this, and there were moments where their effort plays were evident, where our effort plays weren't. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that the eels were devoid of effort. What I'm saying is that there was not a focused effort. Now, I'll give an example. The try that Will Penasini missed, you could see the effort from the Roosters there, like right to the last minute. The arm, I can't remember. I know Lindsay Collins was involved in the tackle. He was coming over the top. And then there was someone else there. As as Will Penasini was trying to reach over and plant the ball, this Arm came up, was Collins swinging at the arm. ball. Yeah, yeah, and it was, you know, that effort play. It stopped the Eels from getting to that uh, a twelve point lead, and not only that, it completely then swung the momentum of the game, 
and Parramatta just did not have the resilience or the or the mental focus to go with the Roosters from that point. It's almost like, and the, I mean, the same happened last week. As soon as something didn't quite go the way that we needed it to, the resilience just, I mean, maybe caved in is too strong a word, but it was like all of a sudden the focus wasn't there. And when I'm, what I mean by focus is, you know, there was, it was like there were errors tonight of such, I mean, there was, they were so simple, some of the errors. It was as if the players weren't concentrating. Yeah, I, and, I think the coaches and the players both got it badly wrong this week is probably the nicest way I can put it. Um, they switched Dylan Brown to the right edge, but then whether the game script called for it or the players audibled, I don't know. They then ran all their players down the left edge to through Dejan Arcee. To the point where Arcee was doing most of the attacking kicking, including a, he shanked it off the opening attacking kick of the game and it sailed well deep in goals. And then, you know, you go to scrums where, you know, again, pointing to the coaching staff, the Roosters scored twice with ease off scrums coming after a week where the Broncos picked us apart from scrums. Uh, like, what are we doing here? Uh, I, I, I can't answer that. I really can't because they... I mean, it's the sort of thing that they train to stop. But I guess if the the attack that they're training against at training isn't asking the same questions yeah, as well. the as the you know, so I mean, whether they're whether they're satisfied with it um, or not, I mean, the evidence the evidence there in the game. There's there's two there's two points of evidence where something's going wrong around the scrums. One is that the opposition are scoring with ease. Secondly, it's that we're not scoring when we're presented with similar opportunities. Like, there are questions that opposition teams are able to ask and ask most efficiently. We usually settle for a prop running at first receiver, but we did mix it up tonight and it led to Dylan Brown making a line break. So, you know, there's... We, we clearly have guys, even without Mitchell Moses playing, that can still threaten from a scrum when you get the ability to post up in those, you know, 1v1, 2v2, 3v3 spots. But, yeah. See, I'll tell you what I don't understand. This is the part I don't understand, is that um, throughout the early part of the season, I watched a whole variety of scrum plays that we worked on. And I don't know, they've just disappeared. So... I don't know whether in the, the coach for twenty twenty four put aside or yeah. whether they've or, or whether the players have seen them put aside. And, and in fact, you're familiar with some of them, Forty, because they were putting on the same plays in junior reps. Mm. Yeah. And and they were actually quite effective yes. these plays. Um and they had variations on them. And we, we spoke to some of the other coaches about the um, like the junior rep coaches about the variations that they have on these plays. So, um, yeah, I mean, what what can you say? I mean, the thing was, and I mean, I I, I don't know whether people might have thought I might be emotional or, or, or you know really angry after tonight. Um, I I'd used up all my uh, emotional response to this game by half time. 
because I expected, I don't know whether it's foolishly, I expected a lot more fight from our team tonight because they were still in the battle to get into finals football. I mean, like in retrospect, you know, I, I can look at that now and go. Well, they, well, they clearly didn't think they were in the fight, did they? They were, they were no, playing like no. a team that season was over. Yeah. And I well, mean, did they, did they or did they not look like a team who was ready for the season to end? And guess what? They, they they will be the first team to end the season because we've got a bye in the last yep. round, a bye. That Mad is, Monday starts this week for them. Is, yep, yep. The, I mean, it is completely useless, the bye, for where it falls for us now. But our team has made that a useless bye. Our team has made that a useless bye. Not, not the NRL. So I'm not going to blame the NRL for for us getting a buy in the final round. I mean, if you're in, if you're playing finals football, you're probably pretty happy about that. I mean, the players now get an early holiday. That's, that's the, that's the effectiveness of the buy coming in the last round. You get an early holiday. And I, I was, I was speaking about this to some people through the week, which is if you were the coaches, what do you do with this season? Now, we've witnessed Eels training into the end of the season and the final series where they haven't qualified for the finals. And BA has made them train through the finals. Conversely, in 2016, when they didn't make the finals but earned it, I believe he gave them the, uh, the time off that they would have been. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. He, so- so when when it, when they've deserved it, he's given them the time off. On the flip side, when they haven't, he's worked them. And but then again, so obviously they deserve to be flogged, right? Like they're they're playing like bastards. They're you know they're falling apart. So you want to work them, but it's also been an incredibly long season coming off that World Cup. So what's the right course of action here? That's that was going to be the question because right now you'd. I think everyone, I think all Eels supporters want to put this season behind us. I mean, there's obviously there are supporters out there that are looking for some level of retribution for, you know, you know, the axe to fall, um, people to be sacked, um, anything from players to coaches to executives. There's plenty of heads being called for at the moment. What has to be decided upon is first of all do they put this season immediately behind us and just go you know what go off have your break we'll be you know we'll see you back when the work resumes now my concern is that we've got 27 by my count players locked in and that basically includes I think everyone that we saw in action tonight. Now, if that's... Oh, I think I have Luca Moretti down as being on a development contract next year. So I think that's the... I think that's the major difference in... Um, between uh, this year and next year is that, um, you know, all the players are locked in all the players that we saw tonight 
except for Luca uh, top thirty. So there's not exactly a lot of wiggle room to make things happen and change well, the squad. Yeah. So how how is there a difference going into next year? That's the. I mean, I've I've put that forward to Eels supporters in the in the series of posts, which is you know look how can how can we expect anything different next year? What we've got is, by my, this is how I'm viewing it, we've got a playing group that look mentally beaten right now. I, I cannot see, without significant change to the roster, that you are going to change that mindset. We need people in there who are mentally stronger, who have got a bit more fight in them. And I'm not saying that there aren't that there that none of the players out there have that fight in them, but they've got to channel it from somewhere. Somehow they're not channeling any fight in their performance. They can't they can't say that tonight had any had any true fight in it. I mean where you where they are focused, where where they are single minded about getting the victory. Because what we saw tonight in attack was pretty insipid. What we saw in defence was, hey, look, it's it speaks for itself. What was the what was the missed tackle count? It was like fifty seven. So eighty eighty percent effective tackle rate with fifty seven missed tackles and twenty two ineffective. Yeah. So you know damn near, you know, 80 combined missed and ineffective tackles. Yeah, so they've, they've doubled the missed tackles of the Roosters. And the thing was, I don't believe the Roosters were asking too many no, questions. The, it, I think we flattered them up significantly. I think the Roosters are pretty ordinary tonight. And uh, any committed team probably puts a sword to them. Yeah, oh. I agree there. It was, there, there was, oh, I, you know, I'm looking, I, I'm looking at the, some of the, the players of the, the missed tackle counts and it was just awful yeah. tonight. It really was. I mean, we, we could go through and list all these, all these players and their missed tackle counts, but um, as a, we have to talk about them as a collective and, you know, I mean, for a start, there are players there that should be in New South Wales Cup at the moment. I, I, I'm not saying that they are that they are New South Wales Cup standard players. I'm saying that they are performing at a standard that is New South Wales Cup. Well, if that, I framed this game coming into it across both the news and the preview podcast sixties as a game that for me could potentially define whether the Eels need to start talking retool or rebuild and given what we saw tonight I do think the needles move towards a rebuild I yeah. I think there are still good pieces in this team and I think with everyone healthy next year we are a legitimate top eight team but the you know it is hard to see us hanging with Penrith and you know the other top teams which have one you know can either emerges or stays as a consistent team next year from this year's crop of contenders you know if you're being ruthless, I think you could take a pretty pretty strong axe to the back line. 
Oh yeah, yeah. And and I think and I think you need to and you have to you have to look at who's who's getting um, because the bottom line is we have to we have to free up some money. Right? And we have to free up money to get better quality in the in some key positions. Um so if we look at the if we look at the back line there, who's on reasonably good money that's not earning, not playing anywhere near what his what his salary well, is? Well, the, the first one that the comes back. comes to mind is the one that we chose to re-sign this year, and that's Mike Acevo. Yeah, you know he'd, he'd be. I couldn't give you a monetary figure, but. I imagine he'd be earning in at a pretty healthy tier of uh, NRL winger sort of salary. Um, Will Penasini, he had a bad game tonight, but he's not the problem. You know, Will no. Will has a very bright future ahead of him. Uh, Simonson, again, hard to tell given that he came from Canberra. I don't know if there's any um, sort of split payments there, uh, but he's obviously sort of trended backwards or maybe regressed to the mean. He obviously had a hot run through the mid-course or the midpoint of the season, but... We're seeing some, you know, issues popping up now consistently. And Sean Russell, you'd think, would be the lowest paid player in our back line. And as I said earlier, like this week, last week, it's all a blur. I, if Sean Russell is either the worst player in your back line or the guy that's fighting for the final spot in your back line, that's, you know, a great spot for your back line to be in. But, you know, as it stands right now, he's a walk-up starter, like, a, no, like no competition in the Parramatta back line. And well, that's because that's because there actually well, is no competition. There is quite literally, you know, one or two backs behind him, and they've got their own problems in terms of injury or form. Um, okay, so we're like, because this is the thing, right? We are, and this is the blunt assessment, and we're not we're not pointing fingers at players here. So, you know, if we've got if we've got people that are mates or family or what have you. This is just the reality of where things are at. So the four outside backs tonight are four of a total of six outside backs who are currently signed to the Eels' top 30 squad next year. The other two are Zach Sini and Hayes Dunster. Now... I don't believe that Brad Arthur will be using Zaxini in first grade. He would have, he's had ample opportunity to use him in first grade. He hasn't. It's uh, arguable that he hasn't been given a reason to use him in first grade. Then we talk about Hayes. Now, Hayes is at a point with his career that's completely out of his doing. There is, I mean, he, he had the worst possible knee injury you could imagine. Basically every ligament gone in that injury. This year he's had other setbacks, other injury setbacks. Um, he's, I, I look, I thought he's, the fact that he got himself has got himself back for the last game or two of the season is a credit to him. But right now, the Hayes Dunster that we're seeing is is not able to do physically 
what the Hayes Dunster before his injury was able to do. So at the moment, Zach and Hayes are the depth players behind the four players that were out there tonight. That's where that's that's where the roster is at in terms of the backline talent. Now, so I said to you before, and um, and this where we are now talking straight out numbers, value. If you look at who is producing according to the money that they are on. If you were to take a, if you were to take an axe to the team, and go, you know what, we need to cut some players to bring in, to have the money, right? Not to have the space, but to have the money to go out and make a purchase. The player in the back, current back line, who'd be under the most pressure, would be Mike Sivo, because he'd be on probably the the most money out of those, well, maybe Will Penasini might be, uh, but of the, of, uh, I'm going to put Will down as, as uh, he's inexpendable. Yeah, Will, right? Will is be, as close to an untouchable as we're going to have in our current roster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm not even, I'm not even going, uh, not even going to look at, at Will because he's one that you just straight out lock in. So if you look at the other players there and you're talking about they're, they're not going to be on much money with the exception of Mike Acevo. So then you look at what sort of what sort of performance have we got out of Micah this season? Now, he had a fair number of tries, but let's be honest, he hasn't had to do Mike Acevo things to score those tries, has he? Like, not, not Mike Acevo at his best, right? So... And then what we're seeing from the, I mean, every every supporter at the ground sees what happens with Micah with the backfield carries. They just don't happen. And we spoke about this the other night. They're probably just not, I mean, they're not smart carries. No. He's, he's, he's running directly into two or three defenders and there is no leg drive. He's, it's, it's like he's, trying to barrel them out of the way and he's already falling into the tackle. So there's no tackle break that's happening. There's no meet, there's no yards that are being made. So if you're talking about return on investment, then you'd have to say he'd be he'd be in the target for um people that you could you could potentially move on. And again, make no mistake the Eels have to move players on. and But then, obviously, the other side of that coin is it's all well and good to open up a roster spot, open up some cap space, uh, but the market is barren right now. And potentially, you might need to bite the bullet, swallow the bit of pill that your recruitment needs to be targeted or angled or slanted towards season 2025. Well, I think most supporters are going to acknowledge that and uh, grudgingly acknowledge that there may not be sufficient 
targets for us to recruit for next year. They really, I, I mean, it's, and, and don't get me wrong, that's bad. That's bad that we're in this position. There are, there are, however, still some players out there that you could add to the roster and get better value than what we're currently getting. You have to be able to provide options. At the moment, there are no options. If you don't select the four that are there, there is no one else that you can select. I'm talking about next year. Now, remember this year, the um, Zaxini wasn't part of the top 30. He, Brad could have used him in the back half of the season if he so chose. But the players who were top 30 were Wonga Blake and Samuel Luizio. And Samuel's, Samuel's a player with a history of injury. And he'd acknowledge that as well. He's he's never been able to get any momentum in his career. And we're now still seeing him in Jersey Flag this weekend. Um, and Wonga, I think that's been storied enough, hasn't it? The the um, unfortunate lack of um, self belief that we've seen from Wonga in the last 12 to 18 months. So the tough decision, I think, is going to be if you had a target that you that there was a chance of getting for next year, you'd probably have to look at releasing a player in the forwards who's on decent coin. And that's where it becomes really challenging and I, and I'm not sure that this is the right forum to be going looking into that right now because you know the 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 recruitment committee would have to uh, identify a a target that they'd have a chance of of getting before you start talking about you know okay mm-hmm. we're going to release this person or that person because yeah. I mean, goodness knows we had enough releases last year that you would have thought that um, we would have might have been a bit better off money-wise. But we've invested so much in our retentions that there just isn't the space in the recruitment. So, um, yeah, mate. I, I, I mean, we we haven't got <laughs> we haven't got answers. We haven't got answers. Uh, you know, certainly after sitting through what we sat through tonight. We don't we don't have any answers. What we what we must unequivocally know is that we cannot expect things to be much better unless there is a change and a significant change to the roster for next year. There, there we can't have the same twenty seven players. And I, you know, I know we got those three spots to add recruitment. They would have to be, have to be almighty additions for, you know, a couple of extra players to make a a difference. I, I think uh, right got- now, as it stands, there there needs to be both, not just for the fans, 
for us, you know, the pundits, but also internally, there might need to be an acceptance that next year is a bridging year, the way things are right now, that they need to make moves that will make them better the year after, and they can still be, you know, competitive in terms of making the finals if everyone stays healthy. Uh, and then obviously once you're in the finals, anything can happen. But the the way it stands, you're needing everyone to stay healthy, you know, you, which just doesn't happen. You need the you know the most blessed season ever, and it just doesn't happen. Especially, you know, we've got we've got some guys. I wouldn't call them injury prone, but you know, they're guys with a bit of injury history that can get caught up here and there. So, yeah, the they if if that's the case, then you need to start looking at developing accelerating development of young kids, getting them into the mix in reserve grade and even first grade, uh, and having a very defined and focused recruitment strategy. And like we said, maybe being ruthless in terms of printing the roster. So that you know multi-pronged approach gets you back to being competitive the year after. How do you think supporters would react to us to the club regarding uh, you know if we if if next year was treated as a bridging year as a year to to be in a holding pattern whilst they tried to work on some recruitment. Now I put it to you this, this way, John, is that if you got to November, when you can start talking to players about 2025, uh, you would like to think that the Eels would start moving on someone now, if this is their plan, right? Mm -hmm. If they were going, you know what, there's nothing we can do about 2024. Um, Sorry, supporters, you're going to have to have another year of uh, either not making finals football uh, and definitely not ending any title drought. But you know what? Hey, we're going to start chasing some players from 2025. And as far as I'm concerned, they'd have to have a, a couple of absolute rip snorter signings locked in before Christmas this year for me to be satisfied going into 2024 and it just being treated like a bridging year. Well, speaking for myself, I could, I mean, I, I've never seen us win a premiership. Uh, you know, in other codes, other teams I, fo- I follow, I, I have seen them win the equivalent of the NRL premiership and it's been fantastic, but... Uh, if I saw a focused and effective plan, I could cop it. If I saw that there was a commitment to improving the roster in the, the medium and long term and a chance to you know get us back to being not just competitive because that, that, that's an important distinction that needs to be made here too. It's not just being competitive. It's about committing to building a team that will win a premiership or at least can, can feasibly win a premiership. And that's a difference to what we've done the last four to five years. We've built a very good roster but never went all in. So we need to get back to getting that roster to the tipping point and then finding the, the right time to go all in. So if they did do that, if they did have a, a very focused and obvious plan uh, and they weren't you know, just pushing pieces around saying, no, we're, we're trying to make stuff happen, but we've got to wait and see, then I'm okay for it. But if you're going to half-ass it, then obviously no. And then I, that, I, I would not begrudge any fan that would be upset about that. And I, I'm, on the same token, or by the same token, I wouldn't be begrudging any fan that would hate the idea of a bridging year. Because after you know everything we've been through, would it suck to see us take half a step back? But like I said, in my mind, as a, a a fan of a lot of other teams and other codes, and seeing some other droughts, 
including like seeing a, a ball following a team that's been on a they've broken the, the the drought since, but over two decades since they saw the playoffs and their uh, particular code of sport, you know the uh, smart retooling or even uh, you know to the point where it's an actual rebuild, but done aggressively, focused and and with a very clear plan. I can cop that, but it needs to be smart and it needs to be well done. But again, if you're not, you don't want to borrow that. I can understand. My concern is not doing that leads you to the slow and painful decline, where you play out with all your core players aging year on year, and you know, our core players, while they're still playing great football, they are getting older. So you, your window of them is starting to narrow and narrow and narrow. And if you're not aggressive, you you can slip very quickly from contender for the premiership, which is where we're at, to contender for the top eight, which is where I think we're trending, to being just outright mediocre. Well, based on the last, say, six weeks of football, I would suggest that we've looked more like a wooden spoon team than a top eight contender. Mm, that's That's not unfair. And we've we've been without, you know, a couple of players. Um, but um, I mean, in reality, um, like last week, we were without um, uh, putting the injury to Mitch Moses aside. We went into last week primarily without. Regan Campbell-Gillard and Mike Acevo. And I think what we saw in evidence tonight was that Mike Acevo is not a difference maker for the team this year. Like Whether he's playing or not playing matters little. Mm-hmm. Um, where the problem lies is um, whether the next man up is you know, the options there is going to make things better or worse. And unfortunately, you know, we had a, a scenario where that next man up was uh, Wonga. And Wonga is not, you know, it's unfortunate, but he's not. He's not the player he, he once was. He's not, he's not the player he once was. Yeah. And, I mean, that, and, that, that just is what it is. He, he is not the yeah. player he once was. On yeah. the other side, Hayes, you mentioned, is coming back from a major injury. And yeah. to his credit, he actually looked a bit better today. Uh, we can talk oh, about I thought, the... I, I, thought, I thought Hayes had a very, very good game. We tonight. can talk about the cup in a little bit because that is the uh, the slimmest of silver linings to what we saw tonight. Uh, and we you know, we talked about all the young kids coming up there and I thought the young kids stood up outside of poor Richard Penasini, who was out of the game by the time we got to our seats with a concussion. Um, which was obviously awful, and we wish him the, a speedy recovery. Um, but yeah, like you said, just the the depth isn't there, the front line options aren't there right now. Um, you know, there's there's clear roster holes. Uh, you know, the coaches have gotten it wrong in some obvious parts. We spoke about the scrum set pieces. Uh, you know, maybe swapping Dill around wasn't the right play from left to right. If you're going to play all your football down the left, regardless. Um, yeah, and we've spoken about, you know, the way we can test the ruck. That's another thing that BA and the coaches have definitely gotten wrong. It just has yeah, not gone well, in our I, You know, it, 
I think it's been well documented how I felt about a clean ruck this year. Yeah, it's a it's noble concept, me. and I can I can respect again trying to go for a point of difference in this competition, especially when the referees tell you that they're going to be committed to a clean ruck. But that's obviously a lie. Might be too strong a word because obviously I don't think the referees want a dirty ruck, but I feel like they fall into the trap of the dirty ruck uh, when every team is doing it. And the eels, see the, the they 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 turned up at at pre-season for the clubs and were laying down the law that, you know, was going to be strongly enforced. Uh, uh, the teams had to be working towards a clean ruck and there was going to be certain ways that they were going to call um, tackles and, um, and the movement off a tackle player and just didn't happen. It, it's, it didn't even make it to round one. I can t- I can assure you that the 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 way it was supposed to be officiated didn't make it to round one. Like the evidence was there, and by the time we'd gone about you know halfway through the season, we should have changed that up. We didn't, you know, and I and I put that down as a as as like a genuine mistake that was made. Was it a mistake that's cost us the season? No, no. Not, not at all. There's been so there's been so many other things that have caused the season to unfold as it has. But I'm not going to step away from the fact that we get to a game like tonight, and there were two different mindsets from the teams that were out there. One was positive, the other was negative. Both teams made multiple errors one team was just a bit more focused than the other i don't think the i don't think the roosters if they do qualify for finals football i don't think they're going to cause any oh, sort they're, of they're making up numbers yeah they they are there yeah, to pad yeah. out the final series for another team um yeah but the thing is right with the roosters is that they won't i i'll guarantee you this john the roosters won't look on next year as a bridging year Right, they've already got signings coming there for next year. They sorted that out early in the year, so they got Dominic Young. Well, Dom Young would sure be good for right. Parramatta, wouldn't he? He's kind of the yeah. The, the we're looking for a guy that can ruck it out for 150 plus meters and finish tries with a plum, but we were never here nor there yeah. on that. Yeah, and they've also got um, the big fella from Penrith. Ah, um, uh, yes, uh, off the interchange, uh, not Leota. Uh, I know who you mean Spencer Lenu. Spencer Lenu, Spencer. yeah, yeah. And look, yeah. we obviously Lenu would be a nice fit for the Parramatta Eels as an impact forward, but he's looking to be a starter. I understand why we couldn't go into the market for him. You know, we, we've also got. I don't think our middle rotation is our issue, even with you know Reg and Junior getting on. I think there's enough uh, good talent in there with guys like Widrimu and what's coming through that we're we're in a decent position there. But the fact that someone like Dom Young can be on the market and be such an obvious fit for us. And we're not... Maybe we were in negotiations with him, but we weren't linked to him publicly. And we certainly weren't in the in the hunt for him at the end, as it looks like. So, you know... is Well, any, any player that we've been in the market for, something has caused us to not pursue it, whether it's been a bit more money that's been required by the player, whether it's been a length of contract, whatever the case may be, 
for some reason, we've ended up balking or pulling out of negotiations. There had to have come a point where we bit the bullet and signed someone where we needed someone. Signed a significant player that we needed, right? And see, this is what I this is what I have the greatest concerns about if we are prepared to just be in a holding pattern for next season. If we're prepared to be in a holding pattern for next season, I don't. And right now, I don't have confidence that we would chase the player, the sort of player that you would want us to be able to get for 2025, John, because I'm not sure you can give me any evidence that it's happened in the past. Well, like, like we spoke about, we built this premiership roster since, well, 2018 was where we retooled. And then since then, 2019 to 2022, and then into this year, we've been in a very open premiership window. And what were our big free agent signings? Who, who's the X factor? Like, obviously, we did smart recruitment, and I'm never going to complain about smart recruitment. Yeah. Like, guys yeah. like Isaiah Papa Lee, great recruitment. You, you, yeah. They're the guys you need to constantly have to be ticking over. I get that. But, uh, Isaiah Papa Lee, great recruitment, poor retention. Yeah, well, then obviously, the flip side of that is, yes, we, we let him walk, which is kind of like, well, what's the point? You got him for a couple of years, made his name in the NRL, made him a, an all-star player, and then you let him walk. Uh, but at no point did we say, well, we're a player, you know, we're a player shy of being able to, in, in a deadlock game, in a stalemate, or when you're slightly behind against the Penrith Panthers, against the Melbourne Storm, you know, who, who's the player that we can add that will give us a chance to bust that tackle, to split a line, to create the offload, you know, to do to something. To take us to that next, that, that, that final step. That exactly right. And just never went and got him. So I, I, I can understand why you're you're reticent to then say, well, what are they going to do for 2025? So, see the thing the thing was like when we were coming out of 2018 as a as a spoon year, right? And that was awful. And and to be to be perfectly honest, I, I was going through tonight. I was having some of the 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 thoughts, the emotions watching tonight as what I felt in 2018. And I, I really didn't think that I would feel that way so soon again. All right. When I say so soon, okay. So it's five years ago, but I just thought, especially the way we had been trending as a team that I didn't think there was, it was going to be possible for us to slide. Now we mightn't have slid as much in terms of competition points on the on the competition table, but we're sliding in the way of our late season, the insipid form of the late season, because it is insipid, right? There, there's there's minimal fight in what we're doing. As I said, it looks like a group of players that want the season to be over. Mm-hmm. They're just, they're just mentally, they're done, they're cooked. Yeah, I can't argue. Uh, yeah, they, they, they are checked out. You know, yeah, they, yeah. They clock in for a quarter of a game, and then the moment there's a bit of adversity, the minute there's a bad call, and Ashley Klein had another shocker tonight, by the way. Um, certainly oh, not, Luke, certainly not I, why the Eels lost, but he was atrocious. But well, missed. you know what, he he did his best to match Parramatta's incompetence. Yes, yeah. 
Yeah. And you know what? And and he normally does a pretty fair job of matching the incompetence of teams. And you know, he was right up there tonight. There were things, there were things tonight. And you know, and I I think his touch, his touch judges helped him along the way as well to find those heights of incompetence. But he he, he wasn't the reason for Parramatta losing. That's why we're not. That's not why we. That's why we're not jumping into him. Right, but but he was awful. He he was absolutely awful tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, again, I'll come back to it. I, I, coming out of twenty eighteen, I was feeling positive about what twenty nineteen had to offer, because not only did we have the young players that were coming up and we knew, we knew Dylan Brown was going to play first grade straight away. Right? There was no question about that. There, there was going to be an immediate change to the halves. So we, that was there. And the, the other players, we knew they were going to put pressure on the first grade. So, so coming into the season, there was going to be pressure on positions. But there was also the key recruits that had been made by the time before the season that spoon season was over we knew that Blake Ferguson had been recruited we knew that this lower grade sensation Mike Acevo had been added to the squad we knew as well that uh, we had uh, Junior coming back we knew also that we had um, Sean Lane coming across from memory as well. He was another addition. I'm I'm pretty sure I'm getting these the dates right with these additions of these players. Um, but so there was there was those key recruits because we knew we weren't getting yardage from the wingers in 2018. So we brought in big-bodied, fast wingers that were going to provide what was missing in uh, in 2018, and a couple of big, strong forwards as well that were going to make a, a point of difference. So we could see recruits. What do we see? Where's the recruits? There's none. Okay, you, uh, and and John, you said it. You said it correctly. There's, there is still some good key players in the Eels team. Not going to throw out the baby with the bathwater, but it is an aging team. We've got an average age of over twenty-seven. I think there will be about eight players in the, if not the starting thirteen, then definitely in the seventeen, who will be thirty years of age or over next season and that's a big number and when I said the average age is 27 that's the average age of the squad not of the first grade the likely first grade team so based on tonight you've got Mitch Moses missing you've got Sean Lane missing now if they were injected into tonight's game, would they have brought about a win? No. <laughs> Too many other players were just playing awful football. Yeah, they're, they're not making all those missed tackles. You know, obviously they help, 
But yeah, we we had way too many holes in the lineup tonight. Yeah, yeah. So there's my concern, John. My concern is we need we need new faces in there to get a different outcome. I don't think it's a matter of, you know, the players get to go away and reset, recharge. I think they need to turn up and see someone different alongside them. I I really do. Now, maybe that's the ideal way that we can segue into having a quick chat about what we witnessed in New South Wales Cup tonight. Now, just before we do, um, I don't know about you, John, but I can't, again, I can't do a 3-2-1. No, again, I think it's the same as last week. Uh, If you drove up from, you know, regional New South Wales, from Canberra, from Central Coast, from South Coast, God help you if you came from the interstate and you made the trip to Combank for the final game of the season or the final home game, then you deserve the three points. Um, yeah. If you're a Sydney sider like myself or 60s and you attended to the end, then you know you get a very strong two points. Uh, and if you watch the game on TV for the full 80 minutes, then I'll give you one point. Uh, because, yeah. yeah, that's that's where we're at. The, the team has not put in in the last 160 minutes. I think you could generously say that they've played 40 minutes of committed football. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, three, two, one. Forty minutes. Forty minutes of focused football. Yeah, three, two, one definitely goes to the fans that gritted their teeth and persevered, and especially the ones that stayed at Combank, hoping that yes, while the team was disappointed, that they might engage the fans and say goodbye for the final home game instead of the token stuff that they got. So uh, it's a real sticking point there. I think is that I I don't want to say they're taken for granted sixties, but. I see what other teams do. You see what other teams do. You've been very vocal about this to me and and in other capacities. You know, visiting teams like St. George, like Penrith, will come in. And they Penrith had their hearts broken against us this year. They lost in Golden Point after, you know, kicking a, a, an incredible field goal to take it to extra time. And yet they went round and engaged their fans at Parramatta. And we're not doing the same to our own home fans. So... Yeah, not not impressed in that regard, but it's been a long-standing issue. Um, yeah, oh, look, um, I don't know if you noticed this at halftime, but it it, it it's I wasn't uh, I, I was left shaking my head, and I might be a bit pedantic with this, but when we have our match hosts who I think do a reasonable job with the vibe that they 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 maintain in the stadium. Can I just remind them that the Eels' colours are blue and gold, not blue and yellow? Yeah. And that when they say, you know, that someone bleeds blue and yellow... Talking about actually, the Titans. They're, I mean, it... You know... Like, it, sounds like, it sounds like a pity, but, like, that's... That is, they are our colours, blue and gold. Yeah, I mean, it... it smacks of, you know, like hosts for hire scenario. You know, you do look, as I said, I think they do a I think they do a very good job. They've been doing the doing the work for the Eels now for I guess the best part of eighteen months or something like that. Um come on. Be a bit better than that. No no I mean it might have been a slip of the tongue, you know, it's like Reed Marnie was when he was speaking for at the Bulldogs earlier this year 
and um, and got that wrong. But um, yeah, I don't know, call me pedantic. I just it after the first half hearing that at halftime. <laughs> It just, certainly rubbed some salt into the wounds, it, didn't it? Yeah, it did. It did rub some salt into the wounds. So, right, well, um, yeah, okay. So let's, we're let's, gonna yeah have a, now, It's not a panacea, but let's have a, a nice little palate cleanser uh, because the curtain raiser on Friday night on tonight was a very very good New South Wales Cup victory, twenty two to twelve over the Sydney Roosters. Uh, Eels prevailing with a host of young players, uh, either starring or having really good performances. Sixties. Uh, Wunga Blake started the scoring in the fifth minute, and that was for care of a excellent Joshua Lynn kick. Uh, Hayes Dunster, Mackesi Makatoa, and Jordan Rankin tacking on. Rankin kicking two conversions, and uh, Josh Lynn also scoring a penalty goal while Rankin was in the sin bin for a jersey pull on a line break. Uh, on the Rooster side, uh, Tavita Hanare Schuster scored first of them. Former Eels prospect Noel Akafalau scored when the game was all but academically over uh, in the 76th minute. Uh, Jackson Barlow banging over two conversions. Uh, I mean, I say humorously, but I actually am worried that there are some legit anger issues here for the man. Nathan Brown, Simbin, twice in this game. Uh, once for a dangerous tackle. Pretty reminiscent of the one that he got uh, sent off for in the NRL a couple of weeks ago. 60s, he went off his feet and got Jonte Jr. Beffin Mesa high. Came back on. Uh, I don't know what was said between he and Jack Murchie, but Brown was in possession, played the ball, got up and engaged uh, Murchie in a... I wouldn't say it was handbags at 10 paces sort of thing, but they grabbed each other and then Murchie kept it cool, didn't do anything silly, while Nathan Brown took a couple of wild swings at him and didn't really connect, but still got simbined. Uh, so that happened there. Uh, but yeah, I'll let you lead the conversation here, but I thought that there was a host of young players outside of poor Richard Penasini, who was concussed by the time we got to our seats, as we mentioned earlier. Uh, so he missed the entire game, essentially. Uh, that had very, very good games here. Well, I thought Josh Lynn, for someone who is, what, three this games? might have been his third game. Yeah, three games I think, deep. I, I thought he was very confident in the halves. It, it was everything that he did had a air of positivity about it. You know, it. it whereas we were talking about the the NRL team. And maybe having that negative mindset, I thought everything that he did out there looked like, even if it didn't quite work, he was he had a goal that was a positive goal, and kept working towards that. I I, I just thought he he he's come on in leaps and bounds. I think this year. Yep. Um, the early part of the SG ball season, it really looked like. He hadn't, you know, like he was still settling in, that he wasn't entirely sure of his role. Now, he came to Parramatta with very good raps from Queensland. And I can now understand why those raps were so were so big. So now the Eels really need for him to be stepping up. And the role is essentially his, I believe, because... With Ethan Sanders moving to the Raiders, there was, well, I guess he's maybe going to get the opportunity that would have been coming Ethan Sanders' way. So, uh, yeah, I was I was impressed with him tonight. What did you think of um, Josh Lynn's performance? Yeah, I mean, uh, they're going to go to the tape and they'll definitely be able to pick apart some areas where he, you know, slipped up. I think there was a... 
a missed tackle one point where he went for an ankle tap and he could have you know dived on a, on the break and there was a, a I think the pass from Jordan Rankin was pretty ordinary but he had a chance to dive on it and let it go by so they're little bits he can clean up obviously but I was very impressed by the confidence and the composure uh, his kicking game was outstanding sixties like his attacking kicking game he did not put a ball wrong he forced multiple line dropouts uh, his kick for Wanga Blake was so good uh, for that opening try that. I felt like Wanga was stuck in second or third gear and scored in spite of himself for that try. Like, yeah, it was it was quite extraordinary, wasn't it? It was like um, we're both yelling out, "Run, Wanga!" because we could see that the 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 um, the weight that was put on the ball was perfection, mm. and the Roosters' winger looked to be struggling to get back, and. Um, and yeah, Wonga, he barely looked like he got out of. He he got there and scored, but yeah. like if he'd been even a fraction quicker, he could have sent that ball to the posts. Uh, so, yeah. but yeah, he he looked very composed, which is great to see because one of the things that the young kids will tell you when they step up to these grades and in our interviews, like on the official stuff that you, we've you know been able to put out, they always talk about how the speed of the game comes at you so quickly. Uh, Lynn didn't look like he was rushed; he looked quite composed, and the Roosters went after him as they should have, you know, it's a young playmaker, you've got to try and rattle him. And while there were, you know, the odd the odd blemish here or there, I was very impressed on the body of his work, uh, especially considering that, you know, I think it's fair to say that our cup team isn't exactly at full strength with all the, the tools around him in terms of the senior players. So he was making do uh, with, you know, not, not a patchwork left edge, uh, but, you know, guys that maybe wouldn't have taken advantage of his talents as well as, you know, a, a different team might have. Yeah, I also thought um, Charlie Geimer gave us exactly what mm. I expected yeah. him to give us. He, he was... really came into that game in the second half, I thought, because he, he came in early because, uh, unfortunately, Richard Penasini was ruled out. Uh, and I think he was sort of getting a feel for the game in the first half, but in the second half, he was not quite a tool to force in defense, but a bit of a man possessed. He was out there really making a stamp, multiple tackles in a row, Great reads, good jams. Uh, you know, he once again looked like a, a player far more seasoned in experience in this grade than you would have thought otherwise. Yeah. Uh, it just is tough. He's just so <laughs> tough. Just built built like a tank, but plays the game so smart. So, I mean, the Liam Martin comparison was the one we made earlier this week because of their geographical similarity from where they came from. Uh, but... He yeah he is such a throwback player isn't he just like robust you know gets involved so well on both sides of the ball isn't afraid to put his body on the line running or tackling you you can see why coaches would love a player like Joey Geimer yeah yeah um, Matthew Arthur Woods yeah um, I mean <laughs> a bit of well, a show stealer tonight wasn't he ah uh, his for I mean. We're used to his immaculate passing game. Uh, I thought he took that to another level tonight. Just yeah. the way he was snapping yeah, he those. Was, he was just passing. ripping it off the off the carpet there at Combank. Um, you, you saw the immediate tempo swing, and Jaden Yates had a good game actually. You know, Jaden had a couple of really nice runs. You know, busy in defense, but there's the tempo difference when Buds came on and was just putting his playmakers on the front foot consistently. You know. Taking like leading them to where they needed to be for their place, so it yeah. was like it was almost preempting the backline movement with great service. So he was, and it wasn't just that. You know, he jumped out of dummy half a number of times with you know sharp, incisive 
runs. I think one of his first touches was a you know eleven twelve meter scoot down that right edge, uh, taking the Eels onto the goal line, and then it culminated with a what was actually a great sequence of young players linking up together. I think it was Jonte Junior Beth and Mesa fed a short ball to Charlie Gomer that put him through a, a half gap. Charlie went back infield because he was never going to make it to the line. Took the tackle, got the play of the board, set up Woods, who just jumped out, uh, pulled in the defense, and uh, flipped it to Makesi Makatoa, who just powered through the contact. To probably that was when I said the Eels took control of that game within the 55th minute with that try. So, yeah, Woods was fantastic. I mean, uh, they tried to pick on him in defense. I haven't got the numbers here yet because it wasn't a Foxtel game, so we don't get the live updates. But I don't think he had a, a bad game defensively by any means. 60s. It'd be interesting to see what the tape says on that, but. Um, he certainly was getting involved in defense, which you love to see. And then, you know, the the player that probably got the smallest minutes, well, <laughs> again, I feel bad for saying that with Richard Penasini getting knocked out, but outside of Richard's unfortunate injury, the player who got the smallest minutes was Sam Tuovaiti, and I still think he made a difference in this game. I mean, he came on, oh, forced an error yep. of a great hit on a on a cutback tackle through the middle where the, the Roosters were threatening to open things up, and he just jammed and knocked them over. And then some really good runs. Um, and what I've got to say about Sam is Makatoa and Ogden, I mean, they're not you know the biggest props in the game, but they're not small. You know, Ogden in particular is a pretty reasonable-sized lad. And, and from our vantage point, it looked like Sam towered over them. Like, he, they, they packed together into the front row at one point, and he was quite clearly the biggest of the three. Yeah, and that was what we were looking at tonight, was how do these young blokes go physically now sam is only 18 this year he turns 19 next year actual baby massive (laughs) yeah and but a massive tick physically now we know that players there's some you know stars in the nrl who have been who've had that physicality from the time they were also teenagers now i i don't know it's hard to put a prediction on when a player like Sam might crack, uh, you know, his NRL debut. But given what I saw tonight in terms of his capacity to match it physically, I wouldn't even be surprised if that were to happen some stage next year. He he is the sort of player that, given his mindset, his skill set, and his physical attributes, all it takes is just one preseason where he could just explode. Like, you know, he has the right growth spurt, comes in hungry, and he can go from being an outside NRL prospect, given his age, to being right in the mix for a bench spot, you know, in, in the blink of an eye. He, he has all the tools to do that. He is a – look, phenom is a word you don't want to throw around loosely because, you know, as soon as you say that, fans start saying, well, he's got to play this year. He's got to play State of Origin, you know, a year into his, into his NRL career. But – uh Sam's got all the tools to be a very, very good player. Yep, yep. Um, uh, so already covered with Charlie Geimer, his physicality. So no dramas at all Him with the physicality of an open age competition there. Nope. Um, same, you, you, you mentioned that composure of Josh Lynn. And uh, we were even talking about how, uh, from a size perspective, that he matched up. Yeah, it, it was almost bizarre, wasn't it? Because we were so used to him in that SG ball team looking like, not like he was tiny, but 
but you know he just he he looked like the quintessential junior halfback, didn't he? You know, a yeah. Guy but that, then when you then when you think about the players that he was alongside yeah. in in that competition, I mean, you you're talking about um, Sam Tuivasa, who was a monster, Lance Fulima, who's <laughs> even bigger still, LeBron Tuala, who's bigger yet again. Um, and even even out in the backs, in uh, in having uh, you know Richard Penasini, mm-hmm. Blaze Talangi, who are both bigger than um, uh, than Josh, and and, and also even I guess his half partner Ethan Sanders, who is yeah. you know freakishly large for a halfback. Like Ethan stands uh, high one eighties and is well built for a halfback. Like he is well outside of the mould of a, a classic halfback. So seeing those two the goes and Arpa Tweedle, another like really solidly built fullback. You know, all these guys in the back line and the forward pack are, you know, big units and Lynn sort of got lost amidst the source and all that, didn't he? And seeing him out there in Reggie's and may, maybe he's tacked on some mass. Like maybe he's been busy dietary and, and gym wise getting, you know, into a senior football shape. Um and again at that age where you can Put on those kilos in a good way, unlike us 60s. Uh, it's easy to put in the kgs for us, but not the good ones. But Lynn, quite possibly, has been very busy because um, he, yeah. he did not look tiny out there. He looked like a guy that uh, very much fit the mold of an NRL playmaker. Yep, yep. Um, I guess the only player that the question is over in terms of the size at the moment is uh, Buds Arthur, but that's never been an issue for him because. He's a he's a renowned uh, uh, renowned for his his uh, legs tackles and um, his courage and and as you mentioned uh, earlier, John, the Roosters could have picked him out and targeted him. The fact that they didn't, or at least it didn't look like um, they had, says a lot about him and uh, how he does play. And also that the try assist that he put on that you described before that was scored by Makazi Makatoa, he ran right up to the line before he offloaded to Makahesi and he copped a whack. Yeah, he, he, for, he, you know, he put his body on the line to secure the try. He knew yeah. what was coming and and did the right thing. So it's not, that's it's not what, a question of toughness any, of woods. Anyone... Anyone who was there tonight knows what we're dealing with with Arthur as a, as a dummy half. Like he he is one out of the box. He is going to be an NRL star dummy half. And uh, as I said, anyone that saw that tonight, uh, I mean, people used to um, rave about Reed Marnie's long pass. Well, we were seeing that. From Buds, except the ball was sizzling. Yeah, it was Absolutely. ripping it. So, um, yeah, so, look, he's obviously he's going to benefit from a season or two of um, of big pre seasons. Uh, but he, you know, you've you've got that the way he reads a game, the what what he's got between the ears, let alone the ticker. Um. It's in that's that sort of stuff's in rare commodities, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, you know, the Eels have let um, his older brother Jake go, 
I I hope they do everything in their uh, powers to ensure that they don't uh, lose Woods because, as I said, I, you know, if not if not for the fact that uh, BA is his father, he would very quickly become a crowd favourite because he's um, yeah, it's a, it's a curse. Doesn't mind it's a curse it. in this case, isn't it? Sixties. Yeah, yeah, but he he loves mixing it. He loves getting in the faces of opposition players or getting in their ears a little bit. He is a classic dummy half in that regard. He's he's probably uh, right out of the Michael Ennis mould when it comes to um, keeping opposition players on the edge of their self control. Um, so uh, yeah, so. I guess what what it comes down to is we had a curtain raiser tonight that gave us a glimmer of what of the sort of players that can make a difference. But I said this in the post that I wrote, the spotlight post. Even having potential NRL players coming up through your pathways is not a reason for the Eels to think, okay, we're going to be right for the talent because we've produced it ourselves. And if anything, no. having a, like a strong group of kids coming through should make your external recruitment even more hyper-focused because it gives, you, it gives you a better scope to understand where your needs are, where you can you know, lavish a few extra dollars and go above your sort of given budgets in order to find the player that can put you over the top. So, absolutely. What we need to see is we need to see the recruitment. Um, it, it has to be well, as you said, it has to be ultra focused. We, we have to be proactive with it. There has to be very specific targets. There has to be a recruitment action plan about how what what is required to get these targets across the line. And it needs to be that I guess there is some, there has to be some flexibility in the negotiations. It, it seems to be that, you know, maybe, it, maybe we haven't had the flexibility. Maybe we haven't had the, the wiggle room that negotiators might need to get someone across the line. Whatever it is, whatever the problem's been, we just know that it hasn't worked. Like the big recruitment just hasn't worked. The, or Not so much the big recruitment, the necessary recruitment hasn't worked. And, um, yeah. Mate, I don't know if there's too much more we can say, other than the fact that we will be out at Ringrose Park covering the Eels jersey flag team as they attempt to qualify for finals football. They've sort of probably been like the Roosters were tonight in that they've got talent in the team. They've had some matches where they've maybe given away um, points or the result uh, with, uh, you know, a, a subpar game here or there. But they've really found their groove in recent weeks. There's a lot of the boys there that have come up from the SG ball 
But as I said, they found their groove. They've got a great self-belief. They really do. So if they get into the finals, they will do some damage. Don't don't worry about that. Uh, whether they can do it this week without those players that played tonight, that's going to be the big question that needs to be answered. So uh, I guess watch this watch this space tomorrow because we'll be covering it for you. And um, I think uh, anything you want to add about about that, John? No, I think it's the perfect place to sign off. Um, yeah, I don't know if uh, Go Your Wheels is in, in order right now, 60s. But uh... <laughs> Well, look, I, I, guess, I guess, again, thank you to our sponsors, Big Swing Golf, North Mead, uh, Star Partners, Real Estate, Auburn, Norellan and Parramatta. Another thank you as well to Parramatta Leagues Club, the home of the Eels. They do try to make that the your club there the place where ill supporters can go in and feel like it is the truly the home of of supporters. Uh, we've enjoyed being there all through the year in Jack's Bar and Grill. We had another great night tonight with Steve Eller in there. We might tack on our um, chat with Steve at the end of this podcast so that you can have a bit of a, a listen to our, our pre-game chat with him because there was a lot more chat about rugby league in general and, and um, the the players recently, the, their opportunity to get together, Steve's thoughts on various aspects of the game. Um, so there's... And it's only a little bit of a preview about it really towards the end where we're talking about specifics with the game tonight. So I think it's an interesting chat with uh, Steve Ella. We had a, a nice full house of people there very early in Paraleagues because we were on before five o'clock tonight. So thank you to everyone who's listening now who was also there in the club earlier tonight. We really appreciate the fact that you get there, that you support the Eels, that you support us in what we've tried to do in Jack's Bar and Girl in Parramatta Leagues Club throughout the year. And again, thank you to Parramatta Leagues Club for being the home of the Eels and for and for supporting what we do in our podcasts for Eels supporters. Again, thank you to everyone for listening. And yeah, I'm going to say it because we've got a match tomorrow. Go you mighty Eels. Well, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Jack's Bar and Grill for our pre-match coverage of the Eels versus the Roosters. We are the Cumberland Throw. This is my good mate, John, who writes as 4020. I'm Craig. I write as 60s on the Cumberland Throw. And we are honoured tonight because we have one of the legends of the Parramatta Eels. He's a four-time premiership winner. He's played 153 first-grade games for Parra. 94 tries, 104 goals, six field goals. Everyone, can you please welcome Steve Eller? Hello, everyone. <laughs> okay, we got there. Uh, it was probably a long time overdue, uh, Steve, but when did you find out about the Premiership Rings happening for that, uh, for that squad? Oh, we probably found out about that a uh, week before. We got invited to a, like a luncheon, which was nice, but... I suppose to put it in context, when um, we won four premierships, we, we didn't expect anything for it. We never got anything for it, which was okay. But I think now that when teams win premierships, they get rings. And um, it was a really lovely and um, special gesture from the, from the club to, 
to recognise that. It was probably a good opportunity to, to recognise. And it was 40 years since we won our third premiership. Um, and I know they, they tried to organise this back in uh, two years ago. Uh, COVID stopped it. I know they tried to organise it again last year. I know COVID stopped it again. And um, so they, this is the third, third time they, they had a crack at it. And um, but it was just a great, great uh, opportunity for us to get together and um, celebrate. Putting faith to the adage, third time is the charm indeed, isn't it? Well, yeah, it was, just, yeah, third, <laughs> it was the third premiership that we won, and uh, yeah, 40 years since then. So you, you said that, obviously, that it did mean a lot to uh, receive those premiership rings. I mean, in terms of receiving it 40 years later, is the buzz still, you know, just as much to, to get it, or, or is it sort of... Is it the sort of thing that really is um, about the memories and the camaraderie? Oh, absolutely. It's, it, was, um, it was exciting for us. I suppose there's a couple of things. It's, it's exciting for us to get together as, as, as mates because um, all the guys that I played with, um, wonderful players but, all, but wonderful people and it's always great to catch up with them. And, but for us, it was, it was around the... It was more important that the club recognise us and the achievements and, and our supporters recognise that in our achievements and um, I think we get more of a kick out of, out of um, not what we achieve but what the club recognised us in that achievement and our supporters as well and we get more, more of a kick out of supporters uh, being, being happy about it. We saw you back here in the club later that night. Uh, it seemed like everyone thoroughly enjoyed the ceremony, joined the occasion. We know for a fact that for the Blue and Gold reunion uh, later on this season, which was last home game, that the boys kicked on and had a big night. Was that the same case there for you boys, catching up and sharing a few more beers out in Parramatta? Well, I'm getting on, so kicking on's really hard <laughs> these days. <laughs> um, look, when we get together, it's always, we always have a good laugh, always have a good time, and um, I mean, it, kicking on these days is totally different how we used to kick on back in the early <laughs> days, so um, yeah, it's just nice to, nice to catch up. Well, I mean, we, we were uh, given the privilege of uh, David Lydiard jumping up unannounced and, and joining us here that night when we were uh, doing our post-match uh, chat in, in here in Jack's Bar and Grill. I believe it was unusual, however, that he kept his shirt on. <laughs> is that, that the case? Well, David keeping his shirt on is very unusual in any, in any circumstances, so yeah. <laughs> so um, one of the other things too, uh, one of the other people we've had as a guest recently, Muggo, he described how each year... Uh, back in the days when there were no premiership rings, you'd get a there'd be a blazer that was handed out. But as far as the Parramatta Reels was concerned, it wasn't a matter of getting a new blazer every year when you won the three in a row. It was a matter of adding a new pocket onto it with a, a different stitching of the, what premierships had been won. Yeah, that's actually a true story. And um, the problem was, <laughs> as the years got on, the you, uh, you, you grew in size, so you actually the, the blazer didn't fit, so you never got to wear it anywhere. And but I suppose we also understood that the club had financial pressures back then, and um, so it wasn't for us. It was an issue of actually getting not getting anything because we knew what we did and, and how important it was for the club and for our supporters. Um, but yeah, it was really nice to be recognised uh, by the club recently. And while we're talking about Muggo, he shared a cracking story with us uh, when he was on the tip sheet about how Gibbo consulted a stray dog, whether to decide um, on whether he was going to drop him or not. Can you confirm if that uh, story is true or not? Well, it is actually true because. Um, Jack had some very quirky ideas and um, yeah, it depends how the dog reacted, depends on how he made a decision sometimes. But, I mean, it's, it's a really good story, but he, um, he probably made a decision before that anyway. So. <laughs> well, he's, um, he said that one of, the, one of the things about Gibbo was that basically he did keep you on your toes with 
the unexpected with that sort of with that sort of thing. Is that is that a fair is that a fair comment? Well, it is. He, he always done things differently to most other coaches, and, and we weren't, um, I suppose, prepared for a lot of the things that he threw at us, which was really good for us because it made us um, keep on our toes. Um, but when you talk about dogs, he had a, Paul Taylor gave him a dog once, and um, it was a, a purebred, and um, and then and ended up dying after about three days. So um, he uh, he always referred uh, to Paul Taylor as uh, uh, the dog killer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, just keeping on the uh, catching up with old mates theme, uh, we we did see you on the Sunday of the reunion uh, the other week here. Did you see anyone there on the on that reunion weekend that you hadn't caught up with for a, a period of time? I suppose one of the good things about reunions is when you when you go and catch up with people you haven't seen for a long time. But I I actually caught up with. About four or five guys. I started at Parramatta in 1977. Um, I was a 17-year-old with Eric Roth. We both started on the same, the same time. And I, I caught up with five guys. I played my very first game at Parramatta with in 1977. Um, and that was really nice. I hadn't seen them since then. And, and there's probably a lot of people aren't aware that you started with the club that early and that young because you had that injury in, what was, was it 78, 79 well, that you had the... Well, 79 was when I had... I snapped both my uh, cruciates and my medial um, in my left knee. That was, I was uh, just 18 then. Um, but that was in 79. But Eric and myself started in 77. I mean, that you, you, both of you go back a long way, don't you? Like to the a- actual junior club together. Yep. Eric, um, Eric Grath and myself grew up together and played juniors together. Uh, went through all the Parramatta junior reps together. Um, so, yeah, so... Um, when we actually got signed at Parramatta, we, we actually got signed on the same day, and the, and the guy who came and spoke to us spoke to us both together at the same time. So it was, yeah, it was always, um, always together. I've got to imagine that a tactic for your junior team had to be <laughs> get the ball out to you two fellas. Oh no, it was just give it to me. I just give it to Eric. <laughs> <laughs> That's always the plan. <laughs> we, we've seen how fantastic the player reunions are, what the Blue and Gold Alliance does for the former players and staff members of the club, but how important is it for you guys to stay connected? I mean, it's like any, any, anybody who plays in a team, it's always nice to stay connected with your mates, and um, it, it was, we had a special bond. Um, I, I suppose what, what kept us together was that we were good mates. A lot of us had opportunities to go to other clubs, and we all said no because we wanted to stay with our mates, and... I mean, a lot of a lot of junior clubs are like that as well because you you know you know who you play with in your, in your juniors, you stay mates with them forever. Um, whatever sport you play, you always stay friends with the people that you play with. So um, it's no different for us. It's just an opportunity for us to um, catch up on a regular basis, and um, yeah, we do that as much as we can. And of course, the other part of staying connected is you always want to check on everyone because invariably someone's going to pass away. Last couple of weeks have been rough for the Eels. We had the morning of the loss of Michael Collins, who was a goal kicker in the 1980s midweek cup winning team. And we also lost Alan Overton, who was one of the titans of the club when it comes to running the place. What did Ovo mean to the Eels? Uh, before Ovo, there was uh, Jersey Komorowski. Jersey was our spring coach for years and years. And it was probably Bob Riley's best mate. And we lost Jersey uh, a few months ago. And then Michael Collins, um, who played with us for a lot of years, actually. And Michael was a wonderful winger and fullback. Um, terrific goal kicker, and uh, we've lost Michael and um, and Ovo and you know, Alan Ovo for us was uh, I suppose he was the, the father of the club for us, and 
he uh, he treated every every uh, every person, whether they were player or official or or a family member or a friend of anybody, treated everyone the same. And um, it was just a special person who who gave lots, not only to the Parramatta community but to the, all the people around him. Yeah. And he gave he gave so much to Parramatta and, and the football club. It was, um, we we can't pay, repay the debt. Steve, you, we've just spoken about your connection with players coming through the grades um, and, and from junior football. Tonight, in the uh, reserve grade, we've got a number of players who earlier this year were part of the winning SG ball team. Uh, they were elevated to the Jersey flag, which is under 21s, uh, after the conclusion of the SG ball. They're now playing uh, their either their first or second game for reserve grade. Um, what was the fastest rise that you know of of any any of your peers back in the day? Oh, that's a probably tough question. Eric, I played first grade at eighteen. Eric played first grade at eighteen. Um, it was probably a bit different back then, where third grade you're playing against men, yes, who were first graders uh, being uh, being dropped or um, being in the club for a long time. So we're playing against like hardened players. Um, where young players coming through haven't got that, but I think if they're if they're good enough, it doesn't matter how young they are. If they're um, they've good enough, they're good enough to play. And and but I, I guess what you're saying is is important for people to remember because when they're playing Jersey flag, they're still playing age restricted football. Like you said, they're not not playing older older players like was the case in the old third grade days. This is for a number of them their first outing against um, older players. So. Uh, I mean, is it something where we need to, when we're watching them, that we bear that in mind? Is it something where they're simply going to be better for the run against older players? I mean, should we have realistic expectations? Well, I think the more you play against better players or older players, it actually gives you a bit more confidence, number one. Uh, number two, I, I always found that the higher you go up, the easier it is. Um, it's, it's probably condescending, but it's, I actually found it a lot easier playing um, high, in a higher grade and because you, you worry more about your job and not anybody else's else's uh, job, so it's it's a lot easier. But it is tougher in regards to the the pace of the game because the pace is faster. Um, hits might be harder, but I think if they're good enough, they'll um, they'll stand up and they'll they'll be okay. Something that I did want to ask you now about about what you've just said because we've sometimes seen that same thing that you that you mentioned, um, a player who seems to get better the higher they move up through the grades. And it's been suggested to me as well that the reason they start to look better is that when they're in a, a lower grade or in an age team, they may be seeing things out on the field that their teammates don't see. And so their teammates aren't reading them and what they do. But as they're moving up into the higher through higher grades, they're playing alongside people who are maybe again, seeing things at the level that they are, can read them a bit better as a player and therefore, you know, it, they, they combine better. Probably a good example, I'll, I'll use Sturlow as a good example. Everyone knows how good Sturlow is. If Sturlow played third grade and Sturlow did what he normally does and creates, he won't have the people hit the holes that he needs to. So he's going to get hit and belted a lot more. He goes up to second grade, does the same thing. More people are going to hit the hole, but not as many. He's still going to get hit and knocked down a bit. He goes up in the first grade and creates, there's always someone there. So it's just that, that, I suppose, that expectation of you do your job, let other people do their job. The higher you go in the grade, the, the easier it is to actually 
expect people to, to, to be where they need to be. And you spoke about how you and Eric Grove played together through pretty much all your football. How advantageous is it to have teammates that you play with through the grades, from juniors right through to the senior grades? Do you develop a deeper trust and understanding of those players? Do you sort of like understand their ticks, their quirks, what makes them, you know, operate better on a football field? What makes Eric so lazy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a hard one. Um, I suppose it's, it's a good question. I think it, it's, it's nice to have players that you come through with because you, you, you've, you've always played with them and they know your game, you know theirs, you know you can trust them. But it's also good to build that trust with other players around you and I'm more lucky enough to build that trust with a lot of good players. And, and um, I suppose what was, what was good about us is we, when we, uh, we had, had our side together, we had a lot of older players who knew how to build trust and they, and they brought us younger players along for the ride. So that was, that was a benefit for us. Steve, do you think youth is the way to go now for the for the Eels? I mean, we've seen, we've we've been a bit skinny in the depth roster in the depth charts with our roster this year. So, do we hit the marketplace hard? Do we develop the the youth? What what do you think the answer is? I'll give you a crystal ball. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna get you for crystal ball in a second. <laughs> Look, I, I honestly don't know. I I mean, I always found youth to be I suppose beneficial, but you got to have the right the right kids coming through. You bring the wrong kids through, it's not going to work for you. So you got to have the kids come through who actually got not only talent but the drive and know how to work hard and they want to learn. I think one of the one of the issues that we have is a lot of kids get told as they're coming through how good they are, and they get told they're going to make it. And when they get to get to the, the situation where they're up against players who are a lot better than them, they don't cope very well because they haven't been, haven't come up against that before. But I think there's be able for young, young kids to come through. They've got to, be, they've got to have the drive and, and have that commitment to work hard. Actually, just, just on that, and, I, and I, think it's, I think it's something that maybe needs to be considered in junior football. If you played for a club, a junior club, and you were wiping all of the opposition teams, would it be beneficial, more beneficial for your club your junior club to split that into into two teams and develop the players and, I, and I'm talking from the point of view of having players who can go on and play junior representative football because if they're just beating everyone and just you know um, uh, mercying yeah. teams each week how much can you take how, out of those how much wins? development do they get out of that well, I think you don't get development if, you, if you're playing easy games every week. You've got to be able to play against tough players. Uh, you've got to be able to tough it out. You've got to be able to learn to take hits. You've got to be able to learn to understand where, where your ability is at and um, know what you need to do to improve. And it's, it's an ongoing process. It's something that if someone's got the drive to learn and has got the drive to, to better themselves, uh, that's, that's, that's good. If, if someone thinks that they're, they're the best player... That, and they're not willing to improve, they're going to struggle because there's always going to be players coming through who are going to be better. So always come, to me, it always comes down to their commitment and drive. The season is starting to wind down. The Eels are still in the hunt for the finals, mathematically. They have to win both tonight and against the Penrith Panthers in order to play postseason footy. No Mitchell Moses. They've got some players back, though, this week in Reg and Mike Acevo. How unrealistic is it to get those two wins across the next two weeks? I mean, there's no reason why we can't do it. It all, it all comes down. I mean, the game plan is always important. The, 
I suppose the thing I always look at is is what's the drive within the player themselves. Yep. So it, it's going to be up to every individual to not only to play to their potential but push themselves through and, 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 and I suppose do the extra, which we always call um, that, put, that, that shows your commitment. So, I mean, that's the coach's responsibility, but it's having Regibacks a big, a big uh, call for us, which is good. Um, having Mitch out is always going to be a, a major problem for us because he's such a good player for us. So, um, yeah, just, and we said, so we have to modify our game a little bit. So, um, but if, if, there's no reason why we can't win. We, if our defence is good, yeah. I mean, we, when we score, we score more points, we win the game. Steve, no doubt whether we make the finals this year or not, there's been a bit of a difference in where we are located on the table, um, the likelihood of playing finals football. What do you see as the biggest difference between last year and this year for the Eels? Oh, it's a hard one. I mean, to get where you need to get to, you need to, you need to have a, a fair bit of... I mean, it takes hard work, but you need a fair bit of luck as well. So a lot of, a lot of things got to go your way. We've had a lot of things this year go against us, which has put us behind the eight ball and made it a lot harder on a lot of other players in the team. And so those, those even though it might be single events, they add up over a long period of time. And um, We've had situations in games where we probably should have won and we haven't. Um, so, yeah, as we were t- announced where we were last year, I mean, it's a different season, different mindset. It's, it's a... It's a hard question to answer, but it's something that we need to, need to look at going into next season. Yeah, Craig and I, for those that have listened to us ramble on the podcast, have spoken about the things that you can and can't control in a season and the stuff that has externally impacted the Eels as well as the things that they've gotten wrong. Because they have gotten things wrong this year, there's no doubt about that. But when you're looking at those two, when you're analysing the season and those impacts, those influences, how do you draw the line between a reason and an excuse? I mean, that's up to the fans to make to call that because um, the coach will give the, give the reasons, yeah, and you've got to determine that a reason or excuse, and that's that's an individual um, thought. So, I mean, the coach is going to give his reasons, and I, I understand you can't. I mean, it's really hard to play 100% week in week out. I mean, because you might have different injuries, you might have one injury this week, next next week you might have different injuries, so it actually affects the way you run, the way you tackle. So it's, there's a whole lot of things that come into play, which probably people don't know about, which you, I know as players, we, we always keep secret. But it does affect the way you play. But I, I think sometimes you just got to, um, I suppose, look at how, how the team's performed over the, the last uh, season and what does it need to do next year to change the way that we've, um, I suppose, performed. Yep. And I want to zero in on, the, on that mental side of things. I mean, how, how much impact does a tough season have on a player's mindset? I mean, does it get to the point where it almost gets out of their control or do players simply need to have a stronger mindset to deal with adversity in a tough season? Oh, look, every player's different, so it's... I mean, what's different... What's the same... What's, well, so what's different for me will be different for Sterlo, will be different for Brett. Different, it's all different players we have now. Everything's, it's all different for each player, so every player reacts to, to different situations differently. Um, so I suppose it's it's how they how they gel as a team, um, considering all those dif- all those differences. And that's that's always a challenge. It's, that's why I don't want to be a coach. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, just just on that, because I mean, maybe you can give us some insights. The Eels during uh, your era uh, won four premierships across six years, played in five grand finals. Um, 
going into 87 and we failed to make the finals in 87. Was it as simple as the Crow and Pricey hanging up the boots or was it a whole lot of other factors in that season? Oh, I think there was a whole lot of other factors. Like the Crow and um, Pricey retired, that's one thing. Uh, Bob Belinda uh, went over and he played four seasons in a row. So he had um, seasons in England here, England here. So he had five seasons in a row. So, And then we bought him. Um, I just come back from, from probably my second lot of soul, shoulder surgery. Um, there had a few other players who had surgery to actually knock themselves around as well. So we, there was a lot of things going against us, which no one probably knew about. But in saying that, the, uh, the performance we had in 87 was nowhere near where we wanted to be. Yeah, yeah. And you, you mentioned England there. Obviously, yourself and a number of other players spent time over in England playing rugby league. You spent, I think, two seasons two in seasons. England? Yeah. And uh, how did... How did that impact your form in the in the actual Australian Premiership and your energy? Because the Rugby League World Cup happened this year or start of this year, and that's one of the factors that's been spoken about for all clubs, obviously not just Parramatta, about juggling the energy load coming into this season from there. Um, well, I ended up playing 20... Both, both seasons I played over 26, 28 games. Um, but when I come back, I still felt OK. So... Um, so what, it didn't impact me that much. I actually found it okay. Some players it does impact, some players it doesn't. I suppose when you look at playing over that period, Brett Kenny came back from one of those seasons and was playing really poorly. So um, he actually needed the rest. So Jack actually made him sit out. So he just needed that refreshing. So he yeah. gave him a couple of weeks off. Now we're going to turn our attention specifically to tonight. We spoke earlier about Mitch Moses being out. Does his absence make it an impossible task for Parramatta? Or can they cover for losing his kicking game, his organisation, his speed off the mark? Well, it, it doesn't make it impossible. It just makes it a lot harder. Um, we'll, they'll change our game plan around to, to suit. So um, yeah, nothing's impossible. Roosters obviously won the last two games coming into tonight. But like the Eels, have had some indifferent form throughout stretches of this year. But despite that, you still look at their roster and it's just loaded with representative yeah. caliber stars, a lot of big name players. Given what we know of their roster, what they've had this year, what do you see as their strength coming into tonight? I've always seen the Roosters forward pack as their strength. Um, and us getting uh, Reg back actually gives us a bit, yeah. of, a bit of strength up front to be able to combat that. So I think their strength is their forwards and I think our forwards should be able to match them. They've, they've obviously left their run quite late because they're in the same predicament as the Eels in terms of uh, where they're lying on the table. Who's in the best position coming into tonight in that regard then? Uh, you can toss a coin on that one. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, they're both in the same position, so they're both playing for the same. So, How advantageous is it to play, be playing at home then? Well, playing at home is always an advantage. I suppose the, only, the major advantage we have, if we win tonight, we also have a bye. So we need to win one more game where the Roosters need to win two more games. So yeah, that's probably an advantage, advantage, but we still need to win tonight. So if we don't win tonight, it's, it, means, it counts for nothing. Yeah, absolutely. It is, it is literally the last stand tonight. So what do the Eels need to do to secure an unlikely win? Score more points. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we've had that said, uh, and I, I think that's something Brett Kenny likes to say, is that... You know, rugby league is, is quite a simple game. Score more points than your opponent and you win. Well, if you stop them scoring, you score more. Like, you've got to be on the right side of the um, ledger, don't you? Now, uh, well, a question for you, <laughs> just in that regard. 
did you, what did you see as more valuable? Stopping a try or scoring a try? Now, I know that they're literally equal value on the, on the scoreboard, but just your personal take on that. Well, I always brought up that if your um, defence works, your tackle just follows. So, um, yeah, it's nice to score lots of points, but if they score more points than you, it's irrelevant. So you've got to stop the points. So defence, to me, is the key. Spoken like a coach. I like that. Yeah, yeah it's a <laughs> I don't want to coach. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's, he's got the right idea for his uh, mindset there. We spoke, again, Mitchell Moses is out. We know that the entire team's got to pick up the slack, but do you look at Dylan Brown as the player that's primarily got to step up in the playmaking group, or do you look at Quinton Gufferson and the two dummy halves there as well? Well, it's, it's a combination of all of them. You, you, you just can't put it all in one player because one yeah. player doesn't control the team. There's, there's a game plan, there's a structure they work to. So it's a combination of all standing up and actually doing, doing their part. So it's not just one player, it's a combination. So who... I mean, if you had to pick where this game's going to be won tonight, do the, do the forwards hold the key? Well, my wife thinks I'm the worst tipster in the world, so... <laughs> this is, I've got no idea. <laughs> well, okay. Well, let's jump. But, but, but I think the forwards. I think if we, our forwards do their job, I think we're, we're, it goes a long way towards winning the game. Well, let's okay. Let's jump to the pointy end. Let's get your tip on tonight. Who's who's going to win and by what sort of margin? Oh, look, I don't care if Parramatta win by one point, long as long as they win. <laughs> yeah, spoken <laughs> spoken like a true Parramatta man. That's it. That's uh, it. Steve, as always, we. Appreciate you spending the time with us. We always feel a lot smarter after having a chat with you about footy. Um, and uh, we also would like to thank all of you for coming along tonight. Uh, unless there's some sort of miracle where the Eels are playing a home final, uh, this is our last <laughs> appearance in Parramatta Leagues Club for the season. So thank you for coming along. Our thanks to Parramatta Leagues Club for making the Leagues Club the home of the Eels. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, can you thank Steve Eller? Thank you. And Steve, you're available for any photos or have a bit of a chat? Yep, that's fine. Okay, so again, thank you everyone and go you mighty eels.